Hello and welcome to the D2C Podcast. I'm Eric Dick. Today, we're drilling down with Spotlight Oral Care co-founder and CMO Lisa Carmody, as well as VP Marketing Siobhan Nolan. Spotlight Oral Care is made by dentists. Their goal is to create the best oral health products to educate and promote oral care, empowering people to engage with true customized preventative oral care. Today, we discuss the benefits of having a medical professional as both a front and a founder, how organic educational content has become the fuel for both paid and organic growth across Instagram and TikTok, how gathering first-party data has massively improved Spotlight's email and SMS marketing. You'll also hear all my wacky dental assumptions get corrected. Now, four out of five dentists agree you got to listen to this podcast. Now, on with the show. TikTok has been really, really huge for us. So we have like had videos go viral where millions and millions of people have watched our videos. It's a perfect platform for straight talking where people want to come and learn the truth. You know, what's working, what's not working? Does this trend work? Is this going to damage my teeth? Is it not? How do I get brighter teeth safely? And like these are questions and trends that actually come up. I think it's a really amazing platform if you have something real to say. This podcast is sponsored by Klaviyo, the email and text marketing platform that puts D2C brands in control. If you're the leader of a D2C brand, you need a platform that hustles as hard as you do. Klaviyo unlocks the power of your e-commerce data so you can personalize and automate messages that keep customers coming back. D2C brands communicate with Klaviyo. Get started for free at klaviyo.com DTC. All right, welcome to the D2C podcast, Lisa and Siobhan. I'm excited to learn more about Spotlight Oral Care. Lisa, can we start with the why of the brand? Why did you create Spotlight Oral Care? Sure. So um, I'm a dentist and along with my sister, Vanessa, we are the co-founders of Spotlight Oral Care. She's also a dentist and really it was a fundamental need that we saw in our for our, our patients in our practice. So we treat patients, you know, obviously in our clinic and actually we could see a huge disconnection between what we know to be true as dentists and then what was available for our patients to buy when they went in store. Um, and really oral health primarily is achieved at home through what products you're using and the routines and lifestyle choices you make um, and so really we wanted to make that connection with our patient through the products that they were using in their own home and to really drive best-in-class oral care products that are creating amazing results uh, for our patients and our customers. What was happening in the previous oral care market? What were the needs that weren't being addressed do you think? So when I look at the oral care market, I look at it as two main cohorts. So you have those huge brands that have been around for years and years um, and they have some active ingredients. But in my opinion, I don't think the formulation is ideal. Um, There's unnecessary additive ingredients there. Most toothpaste are still tested on animals. Most a lot of toothpaste still contain animal byproducts. Almost all toothpaste tubes are actually not recyclable at all because they're made from a kind of a cheaper type of plastic. And also what I really, I have a little bit of a bugbear about it, is that when you go and you buy a toothpaste, it has this kind of message of, 
bright white smile or minty fresh. And actually oral health is totally individual. So as dentists, you know, I'm not providing the same treatment for every person who comes in my door. Every person is treated as an individual because they have individual oral health needs. Like you have individual skincare needs, hair care needs, health needs, you have a different genetic background. And then actually when you look at a toothpaste is one of the only products that you you tend to see the same product used from you know two all the way through your life and actually your oral health needs are individual but they're also dynamic so they change if you're pregnant if you're stressed if you have other inflammatory health issues so it's very dynamic and that needs to be reflected in the product. So if you look at our products, you'll see that they're really, really broken down into the needs of customers and patients. So individuals. So whether you have sensitivity, whether you have bad breath, whether you have inflammation. So they're really, really targeted to create results. So you've got those huge players in terms of like those brands that have been around for years and years, but then you also have natural products and I'm a dentist, so I want your teeth and your gums to be healthy. And I don't recommend natural products to my patients. I don't know any other dentist that recommends natural products. I'm sure there is like that one or 2%, but really by and large, we don't recommend natural products because they don't work. They don't have any active ingredients. And so when you look at what our patients and our customers were looking for, they're looking for clinically proven active ingredients, but are, that are targeting their individual needs and then also packaged in sustainable packaging and really cleanly formulated and that was one issue I really had as well is the lining of your mouth is 50 times more absorbent than your skin people are really concerned about what skincare they're using and what goes in your toothpaste you'd be amazed what you find in your toothpaste and so we wanted to really clean that up remove any unnecessary additive ingredients like for example there used to be triclosan in your toothpaste and it was, it's removed now but it was in your toothpaste for about 10 years longer than it was in your hand soap so it was banned by the fda in your hand soap it was in toothpaste for about 10 years after that and the absorbency of your mouth is so much stronger so for me, when I look at the oral care industry, I want to create products that are actually going to work. They're not going to damage the environment, that are going to meet your needs as an individual um, and that are best in class and, and innovative. Um, and so like that's really where where we saw the opportunity when it comes to oral care. Now, I just have to ask, because this is something I've had a personal relationship. I grew up in a town that had fluoridated water. I got fluoride treatments all the time. I use fluoride toothpaste. And now I have teeth that I don't think I could get a cavity if I wanted to. I think I I, I don't think I think my my dental hygiene is decent, but like I just can't imagine getting a cavity. I, I've never had one in my life. But at the same time, I've sort of had this like feeling that oh, I don't know if fluoride is is something I want in my toothpaste. So as an adult, you know, I've had the benefit of having it as a child, where my teeth are amazing. Uh, but now as an adult, I'm kind of I'm second guessing it. What's what's your stance on fluoride and toothpaste? So I'm a big proponent of fluoride. I think fluoride, if you want to use a toothpaste that doesn't contain fluoride, that's total personal choice. Um, what I would say is when it comes to fluoride, decay and cavities, the most people that tends to affect is children. It's in Europe, surely one of the main reasons why children are put under general anesthetic for major dental treatment. So if you are that 1% who chooses to not use a fluoride toothpaste because you're going to control your diet really, really closely and you're really kind of um, very, very proactive about your health. Okay, you, you take that risk. 
I see as a dentist, honestly, over and over again, when I see my patients stop using fluoride toothpaste, it takes about a year, but they come back and they've got three cavities in a person that never needed a cavity. So I just see that practical rise in disease. I think it's a personal choice whether you use fluoride toothpaste. Uh, I think fluoridated water in Europe, a lot of countries have fluoridated water and we do see a huge decline in, in cavities. But what actually really gets me is I'm not so concerned about fluoride in my toothpaste. You know what I'm concerned about is up until recently when there used to be little tiny bits of plastic in my toothpaste and they were so small that actually you couldn't excrete it. So it was just building up in your body. And actually in, the, in, in Europe, we could see so much plastic in our marine life that we could see a lot of it was coming from the oral care industry. And that's why the EU made, came out with a directive removing microbeads and plastic. So I don't think it's, I, I'm not overly concerned about fluoride. I'm concerned about triclosan, microbeads, DEA, propylene glycol that's still in most toothpaste that should not be there. Like sodium lauryl sulfate is in almost all toothpaste and it's shown to promote inflammatory reactions in your mouth. So it's like, it, it's completely unnecessary. And I think to date, oral care, unfortunately, has been a race to the bottom in terms of quality. And that's our huge drive. We want to make better quality products for our, our customers because children are using this, you're using this, everyone is using toothpaste. But it's one of those forgotten items when it comes to looking at the, your labels, what is in your toothpaste. It's not the fluoride. For me, that's the concern. It's all of those other, in my opinion, cheap, nasty, unnecessary ingredients that are building up in our bodies that we really want to target and get rid of. That don't have the same use that fluoride has. So it, it sounds like maybe the microbeads do something, maybe they help scrub the teeth or, or something like that. But, but at least with fluoride, there is that, you know, this is the purpose for it. Exactly. And microbeads is just a bulking agent. It's just cheaper. It's just cheaper. So uh, I know you're really passionate about it, but it's really important for people to start understanding what's in our products. And I think for so long, oral care has been forgotten and we really want to drive that conversation and create awareness about, yes, oral health, but also how to make better choices when it comes to picking products for your for your personal care. On this podcast, as listeners, you hear me talk to all you know brands that are doing this across the spectrum on on every sort of vertical, just helping people to examine the default choices that they've made for years and years and years, and then look for alternatives, which is something that Spotlight Oral Care really seems to uh, to provide. So, when it comes to the actual marketing of Spotlight, Siobhan, can you tell me a little bit, like, tell me a little bit about your uh, how long you've been with the company and sort of some of the big uh, marketing efforts that you put into place with Spotlight? Sure. So it's over two years ago since I, I first met Lisa for a conversation um, and I had actually worked in, in clean beauty and skincare previously to that and I thought that I knew about clean beauty products and I'm sure as some of the listeners here now are feeling I literally sat at the table and was completely dumbfounded by what Lisa was saying to me um, in relation to oral care in the industry. And I was I pretty much walked away going, well, I clearly know nothing. And I'm like, the first thing I'm going to do is go home and check what is literally in my toothpaste um, and then throw it in the bin. Um, so from that perspective, I think I, I was won over very quickly that I really felt that this was going to be an amazing brand. And at the time, um, Spotlight actually hadn't launched its range of toothpaste. They had been um, known uh, as Spotlight Whitening at the time rather than Spotlight Oral Care and was very much focused on kind of a whitening uh, at home range. 
So I joined the brand just as they were rebranding. And really at that point, what we were doing was growing what had been predominantly a retail business into a D2C presence. So we launched on Shopify, we built out our subdomains, we got all our SKUs active, you know, fulfillment, started looking at the logistical side of things, the customer touch points, and how could we really grow and scale that. Um, initially, we started very much on our own channels. So really focusing on lead generation and the build up to that launch and, you know, kind of post launch sweepstakes, etc. Um, you know, growing the social following. I, I think it, around that time, Spotlight had about 13,000 followers, I think, on Instagram. Uh, and now it's just at that 200,000 mark. So organic and owned has always been a huge part of our channel mix. And then taking those audiences and amplifying it, you know, be that lookalike across paid or, you know, referral and introducing their friends into the mix. So the business, the existing business before you joined was largely retail focused. And then it was when you joined, it was both the paid and the organic. Like there was there a lot of attention into the organic presence before, uh, like when it was more of a retail business or has that been an addition uh, once D2C became the big goal? No, it was it was always very much there from an organic, um, you know, side of things. And, and definitely, you know, I was aware of the brand and had seen, you know, both Dr. Lisa and Vanessa, you know, featured quite a lot across, you know, TV or PR, you know, news, radio as like spokespeople for oral health. So I, I think there was, you know, just a huge surge of interest in the fact that these dentists from Ireland were creating a product that was so disruptive and you know at the time you know previously to what I joined there was a huge amount of work been done in terms of retail and I'm sure Lisa can speak more about that than me but you know even prior to the brand really being a D2C brand they were just getting ready to launch in in Ulta you know in in the US at the time so there had been I would say a very fast-paced uh, three and a half or almost four years of the brand prior to that point so we had a huge amount of brand awareness to capitalize on basically from going to D2C then. Then Lisa, like, you know, you'd been building up this organic presence, being the face of the brand with your sister is probably something that's been been hugely beneficial. I think back to the old toothpaste commercials about four out of five dentists agree. I think that was the Colgate line from many years ago, four out of five dentists agree, you should be using Colgate or something like that. So I know, you know, having those authority figures, especially personable uh, authority figures at, at the front of the company must have been hugely beneficial. Can you talk a little bit about those early days and sort of establishing the brand with your sister? Yeah, and I, I think it was it was a very organic kind of path of, of growth for us. I mean, for us, it was really important to be available and to be accessible. And I think one of the main issues in healthcare a lot of the time is that it's inaccessible and, and people don't get the right information. And I think oral health in particular and um, is is very um, subject to trends. So you see the rise of things like charcoal, which like all dentists pretty much hate. Um, so it was actually really important to us in terms of uh, communication, clear information for our customers and patients that we were here, we could answer questions, we could talk to our, our customers, we could find out, you know, what they needed, what they were confused about. I don't think a lot of people are as informed about oral health as they are other aspects of health. So I think for us, a huge passion is driving awareness, driving education, and also getting, you know, a well-rounded 
answer to your question, you know, like to get proper information that is science backed and and to deliver it in a way that is accessible for people. And that was why it was really important for us to be on, you know, Instagram and, and different social media platforms and even like recently TikTok. But it was really important for us to be there and to do that work, because, as you said, every other huge brand has this ring you know this like tagline of uh, recommended by dentists or whatever who are these dentists where are these dentists you know where's the fifth dentist what's wrong with uh, that fifth dentist yeah exactly (laughs) Uh, that's me (laughs) that's you that's right okay that's that's good to know um so back to the retail journey a little bit like obviously you have a ton of passion for your products that's that's the thing i see across all founders in this space a passion for the problem they're solving for the problem that exists in the market when it came for you to get retail on uh, was it really just a process of selling the product, selling the visions with the same passion that you do it when you talk about it at any time? How did that retail journey go? Yeah, sure. And and Ulta was our, our you know, is our, our main retail partner in, in the US. And, and they have been honestly amazing partners to us. So we launched as part of their Sparked program. So it's it's a program where they highlight certain brands and, and gives us good positioning. I think, honestly, it was so important that the buyer's believed in us and believed in our brand and believed in our products. I think once we told them what the difference was between oral care, um, I think that they they became, you know, very invested um, in, in what we were trying to do. I mean, we we work really closely with Ulta. We support a lot of their activations as well. So I think it's very much a two-way partnership. But honestly, I think, you know, we literally told them how we felt about the oral care industry. And these were our products. And we have, you know, a full SKU count as well. And I think that there has been a lot of conversation around oral beauty. Um, and I think that to date, a lot of the, the products that have been brought out to try and address that to me, you know, don't really fulfill what is actually needed. And that's actually results. So you need products that actually work in oral health. Otherwise, you're just not going to have happy, happy customers. So I think it's about creating products that actually create results. And then also, you know, making the buyer understand what you're trying to do, what you're trying to achieve and and what support that you're also going to go to work together to provide. Nice. Okay, then Siobhan, when you came on and started building out sort of let's let's call them let's focus on the paid efforts, maybe where where did you see uh, early wins on the paid side of things once you came in? I I think the brand had done a lot of testing across paid channels um, without it being a cohesive funnel and thinking about, you know, perhaps like how are people coming to hear about the brand and what's the type of messaging and then that they're being served at each customer touch point after that. Luckily, you know, from our side, we were able to provide a pretty good user experience when we moved to Shopify and, you know, we launched new products as well at the time. Um, we actually went offline and it initially started with the TV campaign, um, you know, which I guess is is kind of swimming upstream away from where everybody was in late 2019. But, you know, in terms of moving from retail to digital, that is a good way to do it. Um, and then we, we really focused on the, the full retargeting funnel and how we were bringing people back 
uh, like I said, growing our CRM and focusing on education, building out those flows, answering their questions, you know, and it ties back into to the organic side of things. But uh, probably from about April last year, um, maybe a little bit earlier at the start of COVID, we really, really leaned into, you know, having such credible founders as well that are, you know, very personable and that can answer our questions. Because let's face it, you know, everybody's afraid of their dentist. So, you know, they don't like going in and saying, hey, like I have a problem here, or I have a toothache or, you know, so being able to DM our Instagram account and have Lisa come on and like answer their question in video format or, you know, do a live, etc. And we were able to use those assets then as well across the paid media aspect and use them across YouTube to scale um, out to mass audiences, etc. So it really became about like, how do we optimize all our own channels and really scale them? as far as we can and insert paid then when we need to and then scale. So our, our D2C business has really scaled over the last 18 months since, since we did that. And it's now about 60% of the overall business. What percent of your ad mix, your sort of creative mix, you'd guess, is stuff that you're recycling and using for, that you've already created on the organic side? So it's it's probably about 70% uh, of stuff that's already created, be that from influencers, customers, UGC content, content of Lisa and Vanessa. And, you know, we find it actually very disruptive, right? Because it's not a polished ad. You know, it, it stops you in your tracks when you see it and, and it looks, you know, so credible because it is credible. And, you know, one thing that we have really been able to leverage and particularly across UGC is reviews because the products speak for themselves. You know, once once you use it, you will never use another toothbrush again. You know, when particularly when we talk about our sonic toothbrush and the fact that I, I think in the 18 months that it has been out to market, I certainly have never received a bad review uh, of that product. And, you know, I don't think that there is many brands that can kind of say that. Um, you know, we've been able to leverage that content and the reviews and put out into our marketing mix. And I think it's amazing because usually you see a brand who maybe has to go to something like power reviews to get those reviews or, you know, put it out there to get that content. But if you actually go to our website and you just look on the PDPs, people submit their before and after pictures that they submit videos talking about the products and, you know, these amazing five star reviews continuously. And they're really passionate about it and they tell their friends about it. And, you know, we see about 20% of our acquisition coming through word of mouth, which is just a real testament to that. So we've been able to leverage all of that. But from a content perspective, you know, we have an in-house content creative team and we obviously have to edit everything and, you know, move things around. But we really try and leverage what we know is working on an organic basis, first of all. Today's episode is brought to you by Podcorn, the leading platform for podcast advertising. Podcorn uses tech and data to match brands to the right podcasters to create authentic ads that resonate with listeners. Whether you're looking to increase online sales, drive app installs, or get more leads, Podcorn can connect you with the right podcasters to drive business results today. Go to podcorn.com and start your podcast advertising campaign today. I wanted to ask, so, you know, you mentioned education and that's obviously when you're going from a mindset of like, oh, grab what's on the shelf, you know, of the options that are there and, you know, put in your cart to, to an environment where you're, you know, trying to figure out what is right for you with, with these other ingredients. You've got multiple SKUs. How's that process gone? Sort of educating, uh, you know, what have, what have been your biggest wins on educating customers 
trying to help them figure out because most most of these customers won't know, I think, what exactly they need or or they, they may know what they want. But how do you help educate customers on your site about the different options? I mean, I think the first thing we did was really look at, again, those email flows and what people had purchased and, and using CRM and SMS to make sure they knew what they wanted. And, you know, trying to build out an upsell journey, then post purchase on what was the next step for them. But simple categorization pages, um, we did a lot of work around our search engine optimization and content hubs. So if there was confusion out there from somebody from what they were searching for, that we had the answer from them. And it's coming again from a credible source like dentists. So. Um, you know, there was a lot of early work done, but actually I don't think that we're perfect at it and, and we're really trying to get better at it. So we're, we're currently working on our conversion rate optimization at the moment. Um, we have some great partners that we're working with and still we see that confusion around what product to purchase. So we have some, some new ideas and strategies that we're doing in that kind of first party data collection where we know now, okay, what products are people most interested? Interested in asking them what was their barrier to conversion? How can we answer that question for them? How can we follow up with them? And um, so that's been like super educational for us because it's taken a lot of the assumptions out of marketing and just taking the time to kind of ask those questions, to analyze that data, collate it all together. We've, we've actually been able to look at like what those flows uh, on site and that UX should really look like. Um, so I'm, I'm excited to see all of that now come to play. And really, I suppose what we're now doing is putting a huge amount of optimization into our pre-sale pages um, and ensuring that those uh, for each product answer all those questions at top of funnel without people having to go to three different pages, either that in the site or blog or creative or reviews, et cetera, afterwards. I love it. Now, is this is this the quizzes that you mentioned in the pre-interview? Are these the quizzes that you're using to gather first party data? Or are these just sort of built into the pre-sale page? So these are when people are signing up to our mailing list, they're giving us their priorities. Um, so we ask them on site, you know, what what do they really want to know from us and what are their overall health concerns? And, you know, I suppose Lisa speaks very well to this because honestly, most people don't even know whether they how long they should brush their teeth for, you know, every day so it's not rocket science they're very simple answers to their questions and we want to deliver them to them in a way that's easily accessible for them and using a language that is again key like it's understandable for them you know because i think when you talk about health you don't want to be that preachy brand right that like is telling you you're doing everything wrong they're not doing anything wrong it's just that nobody actually has been educated well enough on what the right thing to do is and I'm here using charcoal toothpaste. Uh, and, you know, Lisa has says this is a personal bug. What's wrong with, is charcoal just one of those things that you, that is like a marketing gimmick where it's like, oh, it's really dark and you put it on your teeth and then your teeth look extra bright next to it. Like, what is the deal with charcoal? <laughs> That's literally it. So actually the British Dental Journal, which is one of the most reputable, you know, medical journals, they brought out, they did a piece of research on natural whitening products a couple of years back. And the way whitening works, like this is like, I wish I, if, I, if I had a billboard, <laughs> but whitening works by using a peroxide-based product. It's the only thing that actually whitens teeth. It's the only thing that has been proven with science, with clinical research to actually whiten and change the color of your teeth. What charcoal is, is simply an abrasive. So it has, it's, it's rough. It's like sandpaper. It probably will help to remove a little bit of staining, but what it actually does is it removes, it can remove a little bit of enamel. So 
not only does it actually not whiten your teeth, but it actually over time will make your teeth darker because it's removing the outer layer of your tooth, um, which is the lightest in color. It also contributes to more sensitivity and more enamel erosion and damage. So it just doesn't work. It also has no health uh, benefits when used as a toothpaste. It doesn't whiten your teeth and actually damages your teeth. And that's, that, that's the issue we have as dentists is that it's not even not working. It's, it's just damaging your teeth. And it's a testament to how trends in oral care tend to just take off and, and, and often have very little science or data behind them. What about the UV light? I have, does the UV light activate the peroxide in any way or is that just a, a visual gimmick, do you think? So a, a light, light and heat accelerate any chemical reaction, but the reaction still has to work. You can accelerate nothing. So if you have an active ingredient that is hydrogen peroxide or carbamide peroxide or peroxide based and you add a light or heat, then you're going to get an acceleration of that process. And that, that's how light lights work. Love it. Um, but if there's nothing there, you can accelerate it. Okay, good, good to know. I'm, I'm just getting all my, my dental knowledge in on this podcast. Uh, Lisa, back to you being, you and your sister sort of being the faces of, of the company. Did you have any hesitation around that? Did you, did you have to be coaxed into it or were you just raring to get on camera and tell your story? Yeah. You know, it, it was, it's really back to that point you made earlier that there's this kind of idea that four out of five dentists recommend this and this is the brand the most dentists recommend. It's created by dentists. And actually, it's, they're just not, in my opinion, actually... Uh, created in a meaningful way by dentists. And what I mean by that is, as dentists, we're really held to a high standard. So if I say something that's untrue, if I say start saying tomorrow, charcoal is really good for your teeth, I could actually have my license taken away because it's actually not. And I'm, I'm doing harm by, by saying the wrong thing. So I will only say things that are going to promote your oral health. I'm only going to talk about things that are, are promotional of, of oral health in general um, and it's it's really to to bring like a realness to a conversation and I think that um, I, we wanted to be there to actually say the things that needed to be said like a billion toothpaste tubes end up in landfill every year um, and it's because toothpaste tubes are made using cheap laminar plastic and there's an alternative we use sugarcane which is completely recyclable and breaks down much easier and there you go. Why don't you? Why don't we make better choices? You know, and let's talk about what's in our toothpaste. And I think that, you know, it is an extra burden of work and responsibility with the brand. But I think it's really necessary because if you're not the person talking about that, you know, you have more clout as a as a business owner and, and as a founder. And we'll we'll basically we want to accelerate that conversation and highlight that conversation and and be the people to talk about it because we have nothing to hide like I'm a dentist I know what I'm talking about I know what products I know what's in my products I know what's in your products and I know mine are better so I have nothing to hide and nothing to shy away from and that's why I I, I really wanted and Vanessa and I both wanted to to not shy away from that and and to do the heavy lifting of having that conversation because nobody else was so why why not us you know where are you having this conversation? The, like on all the platforms right now, maybe organic or paid, where are you, where do you have the biggest reach at this point? Actually, TikTok has been really, really huge for us. So Siobhan, you can remind me of how many followers we have on TikTok. We have like had videos go viral where millions and millions of people have watched our videos. And it is, I, I, I think it's like, it's a perfect platform for straight talking. It's a really good platform for where people want to come and learn the truth. You know, what's working, what's not working? Does this trend work? Is this going to damage my teeth? Is it not? How do I get 
brighter teeth safely? And like these are questions and trends that actually come up. There's a huge trend um, throughout COVID about hydrogen peroxide where people were using um, household bleach as their mouthwash. And I was just It'll basically cure COVID too, right? Yeah, no, sorry. that's... <laughs> well, there are, well, you know, I was like, that is just not how we do things. And it's all about formulation and control of active ingredient. And um, it's a really fun platform. I personally, obviously, am obsessed with TikTok anyway. But I think it's a really amazing platform if you have something real to say. If you have something that you actually want to talk about, I think it's a perfect platform. I've seen so many videos of when it'll be a professional, either a dentist or a plastic surgeon or a doctor. And it just gives you that opportunity to react to so much of the craziness that's out there. So, you know, you could just take a video of someone putting like fresh, char real charcoal in their in their mouth or something. And you could just, the video could just be like shaking your head and it could get a hundred thousand views. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's pretty much my work. My work day <laughs> is like shaking my head at all these trends, but like it, it is important. And it's like, like it gives you an opportunity to say, no, that's that's wrong. And this is why it's wrong. And this is the data that actually tells us why that's wrong. Nice. And then on the ad side, Siobhan, of TikTok, again, is this a situation where you're literally leveraging the viral content, promoting it uh, as paid content? Or are you doing very custom things for the ads on uh, on TikTok? I mean, we're still in like such early days of it. We're doing both and we're really testing what works better. Um, we've had some animations that have worked really well for us. You know, we developed um, an animation, go look it up on YouTube, called The Life Cycle of a Toothpaste Tube, where we compare why our toothpaste tubes are so different to generic mass market toothpaste tubes out there. And that has worked really well for us across TikTok. Um, our floss is made from recycled plastic. We create an animation around that and that has worked really well. And I think, again, on TikTok, it's disruptive, right? Because nobody expects to see an animation. They expect to see, you know, maybe like a beauty creator or, you know, somebody like that, you know, promoting a product, whereas that is quite disruptive. Um, why it's been actually an important channel for us is we you know, are, are probably the leading oral care brand on TikTok currently. You know, we have more followers than other oral care brands. And obviously it's an opportunity for us to put, you know, Lisa and Vanessa out there to answer those questions. And again, it's very uh, accessible. But, you know, when you look at something like Facebook and the restrictions that you actually have around your advertising content before and afters, you know, what can you can say, etc. Like we don't have those pain points in TikTok. Um, and it really allows allows us then to test different types of content and show those real results that you get from using the products as well and do kind of more close-ups of the face and the mouth etc that we can't do um, across Facebook. And there's no other platform where you can get real organic reach anymore right like there's almost no on, on Facebook or Instagram or any of these platforms there's almost zero chance that you're you're going to get a, a huge amount of organic reach even of your own followers where on TikTok if you hit the right thing you could be like you say like you could be looking at a million videos what has been your most viral video to date uh, it was a really simple video about a girl commenting on the color of her teeth and I was just I, I um, like stitched to it and basically said that like people's you know the shade of your teeth is is varying you know people are individual your teeth are individual they can be different colors and then brushing your teeth does not change the color of your teeth it cleans them like whitening is a different process so it's just literally a comment about the shade of her teeth and it was a personal video from her 
um, about like she wasn't happy with the color of her teeth. And I think people relate, like people are really passionate about oral health and really relate to other people's stories about oral health or or how they feel about their smile. Um, and a lot of people don't feel like they live up to this expectation of this amazingly perfect smile. So I think it's a very relatable um, topic of conversation and that plays particularly well on TikTok. I look at Reels versus TikTok and they're, they're essentially the same platform technically, but there's no depth in reels. There's no, you know, I'm not learning anything on reels. I'm watching someone dance or do a fun trend or do a fun thing with their partner or whatever. But like there's, whereas on TikTok, like you're going down some rabbit holes sometimes. You're going to, you're going to learn about, about what, you know, one thing or another in depth. And, and I think it's, it's really, it's quite different from reels in that perspective. And actually that shows up in like our lead generation for when we're, you know, wanting to drive subscribers for the newsletter. We're finding a lot more higher quality on TikTok because I feel like people are just digging that level deeper on the things that they're really interested in on TikTok versus a platform like Reels. Is that something you guys see? I think so too. And I think that when you're on TikTok, you're actually watching the videos. Whereas I think in, on a lot of times on Instagram, you're, 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 you're flicking through, you're, you're not as engaged. I think, I just think, I think the audience is more engaged in what they're, they're watching um, and they're there to learn and to watch and to be entertained. And I, I just feel like there's a different, there's a difference between TikTok and Instagram in that regard and that level of engagement and that, that actual real true engagement that you're not getting on Instagram. I think the algorithm in terms of the virality is so is so different and the potential for growth there you know all it takes is a small level of engagement and rather than you know be being hampered by an algorithm who wants to push you down so that you have to pay to promote what you know is a great piece of content um you know you have that opportunity that it's going to be liked and shared and it's really going to you know like grow and grow and then you have an opportunity to boost it when you need to, to put it back out there versus having to do it at the beginning. Totally. Yeah, it seems it definitely seems to be a more organic uh, t- type experience there. Lisa, have you have you jumped on any trends? It's funny because I, I one of the ads that we're running for our newsletter on TikTok right now are me doing this thing where I'm going like this and I'm saying and uh, it's, it's funny. It's working really well. I don't like reading the comments on the ads because uh, it gives me PTSD uh, for what people say about me. But have you actually tried jumping on any of these silly trends? I can't do, I just don't dance. So, well, not on TikTok, not on a public <laughs> platform. Um, I, I, well, so what we do is we'll, we'll jump on trends that are like, like that, like um, how to whiten your teeth at home and like these kind of crazy health trends. Um, and there are a lot of actually like a lot of content posted um, in terms of oral health and going to the dentist and a lot of funny stuff. So they are the kind of trends that we are happy to jump on. Um, they haven't convinced me yet to dance on TikTok. That's just slightly outside my comfort zone. <laughs> just watch this space. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to happen. I love it. I, I, you got to make something too about, I was funny. I, we, I just got a text from my partner the other day and he was in the dentist chair texting us. And I was sort of like, he was saying, it was the first time I got a text from a dentist chair. He took a picture of it. And I was like, well, that's superior, like at least texting to when the dentist tries to talk to you while you've got all the implements in your mouth. You, you don't, you don't do that. Do you, Lisa? I would never do that. No, I would never do that. Oh, I, never do that. I and, have definitely jumped on that tell? trend. I can just, <laughs> I can just be like, arr, 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 and they'll know exactly what I said. So it's like, it's, it's quite amazing that, that exact situation. So <laughs> it's like, you, listen, so you have been on that trend. I have been on that trend too. It's like listening to a two-year-old, you kind of get the gist of what they're saying. So yeah, we, we understand it's a different language. 
And you understand that it's torturous to us to, to, to have to converse in those situations, but you still do it. <laughs> yeah, it's, our, it's, part of the, it's part of the job. It's part of the job. Um, okay, cool. So I think let's, the last thing I'd probably want to talk about is your, a bit more about your owned audiences and, and what you're doing on email. What, what, what has been sort of your, your email philosophy when it comes to engaging customers on your list? I think we started out, you know, pretty basic, just putting the basics in place, you know, a welcome flow, cart abandonment. We literally started looking at like the flows of what people had purchased and then, you know, trying to roll out one to two campaigns per month. And we actually scaled pretty quickly, you know, um, up to the point where, you know, last November, say, and, you know, obviously I think, you know, last year we, everybody in D2C had a, had an amazing Black Friday and like holiday period, but we would have done almost 50% of our overall revenue last November from Black Friday, even though we were still advertising on, you know, 15 other channels, etc. So, but we had done a, a concentrated lead gen campaign in the build up to it and, and we've done the same again this year. So I think for me, it's really looking at what key moments you really want to, to uh, maximize your CRM and your email and making sure that you have a very engaged, ready to purchase audience uh, to target at that point. Um, we've also been using email, I suppose, to leverage, you know, the iOS updates, etc. So we wanted to know more about our customers before those updates came in. So, you know, we spend a lot of time surveying them, like I said, capturing that uh, first party data upon lead capture, doing far more segmentation than we had ever done um, and really nurturing and listening to them so that we can ensure that we're, you know, really gaining more leads than we're getting on subscribes. And that has been like a key component, I would say, of why our email is still very strong and we still see a lot of correlation and like we haven't seen that many opt-outs or, or unsubscribes to date. Um, and it's the same for SMS with us, um, where we, we really use that in, in the US as well. We were just chatting about this yesterday about Q4 prep and about, and about how now is the time to be running kind of lead generation campaigns when the costs are a little bit lower. What are you using to actually acquire those leads? Are you using a discount for Black Friday, Cyber Monday? No, we're not actually. Um, we will do that probably closer to the time. But usually what we do is we work with a lot of, say, content creators and influencers. And, you know, we use our own channels as well, where we run sweepstakes, um, be that for, you know, uh, products or uh, like-minded brands. We do co-branded sweepstakes with other brands as well and share the leads. And we really set out very clear KPIs and goals in terms of what we want to generate for those leads over that period um, and really focus it. But like, to be honest with you, like we would start that probably around the first week in August for Black Friday. So um, it's, it's a huge body of work in the run up to it. I, I'm sure your belief is that this Black Friday will be the biggest Black Friday for, for Spotlight ever? Absolutely. No no doubt about it. You know. Any specific plans for Black Friday, Cyber Monday? Like besides starting in August, I think that's great advice of just like building up this list, having very clear KPI about, about how you want these people to come in and convert and stay on the list and such. Any, any big plans for the day or for the, the, the more direct run-up? You know, I think with like everybody – 
we're going to wait and see. We have plans in terms of what those offers are. And, you know, we think that they're very strong, but we don't want to go into a race to the bottom with anybody. And we want to make sure that we are, you know, holding the brand values as well. Very strong um, coming up to it while giving, you know, the best value for our loyalty customers as well. Um, we have I suppose we would see about 40% of um, the DTC revenue coming in the last quarter of the year uh, overall, because you might not think oral care is very giftable, but it absolutely is. And we'll be launching our beautiful and amazing um, holiday gift sets in the next couple of weeks. So from that perspective, we've already discounted them by putting them in a gift set. So they would be very strong sellers for us without us having to go too deep, especially for retention. The gifting mindset, again, that's something that we talk about all the time heading into Q4. So you're bundling gift prizes. And then is there anything else you're doing on the audience targeting side to really go after gifters? Is it just a matter of targeting, you know, partners about buying things for their partners, for instance? You know, and that's, it's really interesting because actually we obviously, we we're very much, you know, a beauty brand, but we see our strongest male customers in November and December every year when clearly they have been sent, you know, an item to uh, purchase for somebody. Um, from, from that side, I suppose we, we've tried to leverage, you know, shareable links. So, you know, activating drop a hint from within our emails, SMS, um, you know, WhatsApp links where you can share with somebody very quickly, whether that's a product that you want to be gifted um, when we launch our gift sets. Uh, we also, I think, you know, target those male audiences with, you know, the perfect gift for her or with her females with the perfect gift for him. Um, to be honest, I think one of the things that we have really seen this year, and I know a lot of brands have seen it as well, is adding like a small gift with purchase with gifting um, so that the buyer is actually getting something for themselves as well as, uh, you know, buying uh, an item to be gifted when it comes to the holidays. That's great advice. Okay, so I don't know if you'll both have different answers to this, but this is a, you know one of our stock questions, which is if we were to give you a $50,000 or 50 pound grant, how would you be putting it into your marketing budget right now besides trying to bribe Lisa to dance? <laughs> I, I would put it into more sampling. Um, I think once people try our products, they can actually see like how good they are. Is it, You see the results that you get. So I would definitely put it into sampling, getting it into more hands um, because I see that customer loyalty, you know, coming back and back and that referral aspect also. Um, so that's what I would do. And how would you do that? Just to die, we'll get to Siobhan's answer in a second, but how would you, would, would that be something where you'd set up in stores, in retail? Is that something where you'd run an, a campaign where people could uh, lead generate in, in exchange for a sample? Yeah, like either through paid social or maybe through a brand collaboration. I think brand collaborations are a great way of, of sampling also because you're getting a like-minded audience that, that you feel, you know, are, are the right customers for you. So brand collaborations would be my probably first choice in, in, in rolling that out. Nice. Same answer for you, Siobhan, or do you have something different? Um, I, I would have something maybe slightly different, but myself and Lisa are very like-minded when it comes to these things. So, you know, again, in terms of like, 
you know, I would probably put it into like, say something like a micro campaign, you know, we use a platform called mini social, um, where, you know, you can really scale a lot of user generated content and, you know, select the channels, be that TikTok or Instagram, etc, that you want to put it out there. Because, you know, with those rising CPM and, and CAC costs, etc, at the moment, like organic user generated content, I think is going to be more important than ever for you know reviews and kind of credibility as well and then the last question would be if there's any brands out there besides your own that you're either obsessed with as an individual or as a marketer are there any brands out there that you see are are just doing things really well i'm obsessed with olipop um you know, I think their branding is amazing. I think their customer experience is amazing. I see, you know, what they're doing in terms of retention, subscription, etc. And I think they have just done an amazing job at, you know, giving that retail experience on D2C that you feel like it's very personable and not something that's just shipped to your door, like out of a warehouse. That's that's a great answer. Eli Weiss is a great friend of the show. We just published his CX guide in the in one of the last newsletters, and, and we got so much good feedback. So that that's a great answer. Uh, how about you, Lisa? Um, I I love the brand Live Tinted. They they just launched in Ulta, and it's a skincare makeup brand that is uh, more inclusive. Um, and I love the whole ethos of the brand I love what they're doing I loved how they launched in Ulta so they had this I was just seeing I followed them on on Instagram and I was they had this truck that was going around giving out flowers and I just think that they're an amazing brand and they're really driving diversity in the beauty industry so um and they just launched in Ulta which you know is just an amazing partner so I was I was um really happy to see that they launched and I just think they're an amazing brand so if people want to learn more about Spotlight Oral Care, if they're interested in uh, checking some of their misconceptions uh, about oral care, I assume they go to spotlightoralcare.com. That's it. Exactly. Yes, indeed. Or you can search for Spotlight Oral Care on either Instagram and TikTok and ask Lisa all your oral care questions. <laughs> Thanks so much for listening to today's episode. If you're not a subscriber to our newsletter, you can do that right now at directtoconsumeralloneword.co. I'm Eric Dick, and this has been the D2C Podcast. We'll see you next time.